All right, welcome back to Podcast of the Galactic Heroes, everybody. Uh, we're doing episode 16, 17, and 18 of uh, Ghost in the Shell uh, Standalone Complex, uh, second gig. And um, yeah, there are episodes. <laughs> Part two, the revenge. Not the greatest. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. They suffers um, from a lot of just recap boring shit, and the episodes that try to deal with character development don't really do that. So, no, no, they have some really mo- some moments that I don't know what they were trying to do with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like sixteen there was and seventeen. One moment in particular, in where yeah, there's one point in particular where the major, um, I. I don't know what she's on. Yeah. <laughs> she is wilding the fuck out. It really oh hurt an God. episode that I otherwise liked quite a bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. 16 has some plot stuff. 17 has a little bit of plot stuff and some more character building, I guess, for the major. But 18 just did not need to exist at all. Yeah. It just could yeah, have been cut and, the, and nothing would have happened. And the quote unquote character development for the major is like not a lot no. and it's a lot of running around talking to a kid about how good another character is <laughs> they do my favorite thing where two characters talk about how cool something happened was that we don't get to see so it's like star wars episode two baby <laughs> all right wow. well well <laughs> well shall shall we get started yeah uh, episode 16 starts with like one of these super jumbo jets and Ishikawa was on it he's coming back from like refugee island or something he like was doing some recon in the previous episode and now he's coming back and he's got to talk he was about out in the peninsula which i assume is like vietnam oh, yeah. and such oh no if they're talking about the peninsula that's korea ah uh, korea. korea's right. been Wrong reunified peninsula yeah that's where um, he was yeah, he talks with Bato about how he's got some info or something. It doesn't matter. We get the title card. Duh, this um, whole thing is about North Korea and China's border. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, so there's a cabinet meeting. The prime minister there is talking about the individual 11 suicides and the number of refugees. And it's like her with a whole bunch of like her top cabinet people. Like, I guess you would, you know, everybody's there. It's really a discussion between, I think, like the police superintendent, the Coast Guard, and like the defense secretary of defense or something and, and everybody is just talking shit about everyone else yeah it's like i don't really need to go into it too much it's really them just arguing on whose fault it is who should be dealing with these refugees like it's just a big bickering fight um she eventually just gets fed up with it and says like this is all important we need to understand jurisdiction but nothing's productive is going on i'm going to adjourn for the time being and she leaves i'm leaving yeah, while that happens, um, the chief cabinet secretary, uh, Takakura, is watching her because Takakura is a creepy looking fucker and uh, he's definitely not scheming things. So No, no scheming here. Yeah, so the prime minister goes in and meets with the major and the chief in their office and like she sits down in her chair and she's totally disgusted and tired about everything that's going on. Uh, she complains about having like lack of clout and how everyone has their own vested interests for their own department and they're not working together to see the problem at hand. You know, typical politicking bullshit. Um... The chief starts talking about how, like, with government agencies, they start government agencies start failing when its leaders start using the power for their own gains, and he sees this happening with the secretary meeting. Um, she feels bad about sticking the coast guard with the worst of the duties. I don't like understand what she meant by Fuck that. Fuck the but, coast guard. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. She switches topics and she starts asking about uh, the refugee actions that are that are happening, and the uh, chief says that he um, asks if she knows about uh, what a cyber brain hub is. The Prime Minister doesn't know what a cyber brain hub is, which is weird, because I would think this is should be common knowledge to anybody with a cyber brain, but... I guess it's supposed to be, like, a newish kind of concept? I don't 
know it's about weird. that? It's worded like it's that, but it is quite strange. But luckily, they can explain it for us, the viewer. Yeah, and the first of several PowerPoints we'll see in the session. <laughs> uh, the Major just goes and links up with the Prime Minister's brain, and they go into cyberspace. So the whole deal is like hubs usually, I guess, don't exist in the networking that they have in the future. But a hub cyber brain is when the host just kind of lets anybody's consciousness come into their own brain. It's a giant Fortnite party where everyone goes and dances to DJ Marshmallow inside someone's yeah, brain. It's, it's, it's like an IRC where everybody has admin and everybody's invited. You know, uh, I, I guess it's like usually reserved for like communes, cults, like art of collectives and stuff like that. But apparently a refugee was recently doing this and... They suspect this is why all the refugees are moving to Nagasaki. Like people are both physically and in cyberspace attracted to the cyber brain hub. So the prime minister then asks the obvious question, is this the refugees leaders? And the major says that it's hard to tell. And she doubts that any one person could have the influence to, or the ability to influence 3 million people's brains simultaneously. That'd be one big ass brain. Yeah. A lot of thinking, a lot of uh, AWS cloud service <laughs> billing. Um, Yes, but she says, like, in practice, though, the hub is kind of like the leader since everybody's gathering there and, you know, making the discussions and thoughts there. So, yeah, I guess it is. More or less. Yeah. Uh, the prime minister says, says this is what the government fears. She doesn't want the refugees kind of coalescing around a single centralized leader because then they'll gain strength. And that's not a good thing for them. For the, It's not a good thing for the population of Japan, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they, especially the Japanese government. Yeah. Um, so she tells the chief to keep monitoring this and then segues into her next subject. Um, she wants the chief in section nine to look into a matter of a defense lobbyist assemblyman. Um, this assemblyman is pop possibly in collusion with the U S empire. Neat. And she goes, yeah, she goes on this whole spiel saying that like Japan has these radiation scrubbers and the U S empire has known to be nu using nukes in the past. So, um, after like world war two, three or whatever, there was a treaty made and like, Basically, the U.S. would nuke anybody that was threatening Japan, and in return, Japan would sell these radiation scrubbers to the U.S. Um, this treaty, I guess, is getting reevaluated, and she thinks that Japan has the opportunity to come out as like a head in the world. Um, she doesn't want to be treated kind of as a servant state of the United States. Right. What if instead of the U.S. bombing people and cleaning up the messes, selling them the tools to clean up their messes, Japan sells the tools to clean up their messes? Yeah, this is very much, we don't want to be a client state anymore. Yeah. Um, so she's saying that, like, she wants Japan to come out ahead. And if the talks don't go well, if they're untenable, she's totally fine with just, like, holding, scrapping them for the time being until, like, the U.S. comes back to the table. But she's saying that there's defense industry people and certain assemblymen in the cabinet that are not interested in this politics. They have their own reasons for having Japan stay subservient to the United States. And she thinks that this is not Japan's best interest. So, um, more or less, the chief comes out and asks for a source, and she says it's the foreign affairs minister. The chief says he'll look into it, and then asks her point blankly, is like, are you doing this for your own personal reasons or for policy reasons? And she gets kind of upset about this, like, you don't even need to ask me that. But she doesn't say. <laughs> it's, it's kind of implied she's also doing it for both. But, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Outside, uh, the major and the chief go to the car, and uh, the major has this, like, kind of weird realization. It's like, hey, you know, the reason you like the prime minister so much is because she's totally your type of woman. And the chief's like, you just noticed that, you idiot? And the major's kind of amused at this. Oh, major. Yeah. I, um, I kind of love that moment of the chief just being like, yeah, she's hot. Did, duh. Did you, did you just notice? <laughs> and assertive. 
Yeah, I think it's more the assertive part, or like she's trying to be assertive anyway with her unruly cabinet. Yeah, so they talk about the, who this defense lobbyist can be, and it's obvious she was referring to the chief cabinet secretary, uh, Takakura. Um, and they wonder what his motivation is, because apparently Takakura is like an old uh, neocon, pro-U.S., hoorah military guy, and he has kind of like blind faith in the U.S. empire, so like he's not doing this for kickback reasons. Like They think that maybe he's laying the groundwork for bigger things. I, mm. I this conversation really doesn't go anywhere either, so I don't know why I'm recapping it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, they also bring up the point that um, Takakura used to be the head of the CIS, the Cabinet Information Service, and that's where our friend Goda is. And it's also interesting that Goda used to make used to work for Poseidon, which makes the scrubber, so it's all kind of interconnected. It's all coming together. Yeah, the Major says she's totally fine with helping the Prime Minister on her revenge plot. For so, once, I'm on her side. Yeah. So we cut to the prime minister leaving her uh, office to go back to the cabinet secretary, like the meeting that she was in. And uh, Takakura straight up does a Joe Biden here where he like grabs her shoulders and leans in like really close to her. Real and this freaks close. her. Yeah, this freaks her the fuck out, obviously, because it freaks everybody out when Joe Correctly, Biden does it. for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even secondhand, I'm like, ah, I hate this. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, he, he does the power moves like, everybody's been waiting on you. And she's obviously angry and shaken but can't say anything. He's a smug asshole. <sighs> we cut to Section 9 HQ. Uh, we see one of the rookies, Azuma. He was in the episode with Saito talking about his sweet gunshot stuff. <laughs> um, I guess he's been hired on full time now and he's asking yeah. Togusa like hey should I be on this cool meeting and Togusa's like you're supposed to be watching the refugees and so Asuma's like well that's boring I want to be on the cool stuff and Togusa just yells at him to do his fucking job Togusa's just like fuck off rookie <laughs> yeah uh, so Ishikawa, Bato, Paz, Boma basically everybody who's not the chief of the major are there they're shooting the shit for whatever reason Togusa walks in. They put in the VR headsets. It's time to enter Ishikawa's PowerPoint zone for the next 20 minutes. For the rest of the episode. Yeah. Oh, my God. This, <laughs> this section sucks. Like, there's interesting I would, stuff I would here. like to apologize for any time I complained about the chat room episode. I didn't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know I did this. So you may notice <laughs> that Kuze has not gotten enough character. Well, it's time for Kuze to get all the character. With the chat room episode, like, I could totally see a bunch of people in IRC shit posting, but this just has, like, I'm stuck in a fucking meeting that could have been an email. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And for what it's worth, some of the stuff in here could be interesting had they presented it in a flashback form from, like, Kuze's point of view, but they don't. It's just PowerPoint slides. Yeah, so. like, I think the thing that's kind of killing me is that they don't really show Kuze experiencing this stuff so much as, like, Ishikawa explaining what Kuze was experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, like, bothers me that we haven't really interacted with Kuze. Like, apart from when he tried to kill the Prime Minister, which was clearly, like virus brain worms like section nine have basically never talked to this man so. and now we're gonna get all of it yeah so uh, i'll so try to go i'll try to go over the major points here there's some interesting world building that's kind of said in passing yet again because the mm -hmm. series loves to do that but in uh 2024 all the world's nations were exhausted from world war four uh korea itself was in a civil war again again um, the UN was asked to send troops for peacekeeping references or for peacekeeping forces, um, including Japan. Um, the U.S. wanted to get back on its feet as a world power. Apparently, they were nuked pretty heavily during World War III, so you know, and they wanted to unify Korea to give themselves uranium mining rights. Huh? <laughs> Weird. 
Uh, it's funny, Ishikawa says that like everybody knew this was BS. Like they didn't want to peacekeep. They wanted to steal uranium, but like no one could say no to them. So uh, the J the spot on the Security Council for you. Yeah, permanent spot on the Security Council. Yup. Um, the Japanese Self-Defense Force had apparently avoided battle through the last two world wars. So this was its first major deployment and Bato and the Major took part of it unofficially. That's some of the stuff we've seen earlier. Um, the government, of course, censored media to keep public opinion good because no one in Japan wanted their forces to go there. But whatever. They went to North Korea and did peacekeeping stuff. It was relatively safe um, for the most part. But Togusa says that, you know, it was big news there when people... It was big news when the Japanese army was sent there but like after the news reports saw that like nothing was going on people just got bored and moved on with the press cycle it's basically uh, desert eagle style where it was cnn covering the war and then you know there's nothing the news the news cycle moved on yeah uh, ishikawa says that that was actually cover the press control was the forerunners to the uh, cis so in reality it was kind of much worse uh, the mech unit that kuze was in during this peacekeeping operation was sent there into the country um Apparently, like I'm going to skip over a bunch of this. He was sent there mostly to stop the People's Army guerrillas that were still in the hills that weren't that hadn't surrendered yet. Yeah, so this is like North Korea on the border with China, and they're just basically there to like stop yeah, it's, incursions. It's never directly said, but it's implied that Korea basically lost the war. Uh, the Korean arm, the North Korean army, sorry, basically lost the war, and then they kind of fell back into China and yeah. did guerrilla operations. So Kuzia was there trying to hunt them down um, during this hunting of down of them, they found a refugee camp of just North Korean civilians that was being pillaged by the people's army. Um, yeah, it was kind of brutal and whatnot. So Kuze seeing all these civilians get gunned down, spurred him into action. Uh, they went down and even though they were outnumbered by the people's army pretty heavily, the people's army was mostly starved and famished and frozen. So it was a massacre. Kuze was an army of super soldiers. Yeah. Because they were all basically in his super cyber body. Yeah, it was like 100 JDSF super soldiers versus, you know, hundreds of people's army people that were half frozen and trying to raid a village for supplies. So um, they all had action and they were fine with it. But after a while, they started to get PTSD. That was pretty bad um, because it was basically a one-sided slaughter. So everybody in Kuze's unit started to turn towards alcohol and hashish. They keep calling it hashish instead of marijuana. I don't know why. <laughs> He's hitting the hashish. Um, yeah. I, I think they want to like specify that it's like, you know, really refined or whatever. Cause like people, I guess, especially if you're doing English vocalization, like people know that like smoking a little weed isn't going to completely take you out of reality <laughs> like that. Like that's, especially if you do it a lot, like you can still be like pretty here about yeah. it. Whereas people think you're about hashish and especially those who don't know. Yeah. They're like, oh, so you, you like take a rip and you <laughs> this are. This is, I want to yeah, exactly. reality. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also they is, wanted to tie it to Assassin later, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But very, uh, yeah, v- very, like, I want to couch lock my entire existence <laughs> energy they try and give off here. Yeah, so because of the press blackout, the media didn't know about the refugee camp fight, uh, and the, but they did know, somehow know about the drugs, so, of course, people were saying, like, these JDF soldiers are going to other countries and doing drugs, this is bad, blah, blah, blah. Um, the press also just wasn't allowed to talk with the people in the unit for, you know, security reasons. So eventually the entire unit was barred from Japan. That seems like a weird thing to do to your army, but yeah, this whole thing turns into, they were all trapped in here so that the press blackout could continue, which is kind of fucked up. Yeah. And then like rumors started to go out that, you know, the refugee camp actually may have been, you know, 
murdered by the JDSF soldiers. So, of course, more Korean soldiers protested, adding fuel to the fire. It's just a big, huge fuck-up. Yeah, and um, these soldiers basically bear the brunt of everything. So we see a kind of flashback. I don't even know if it's a flashback. It's still Ishikawa telling the story. It's so really like, weird, the yeah. framing device here. Yeah, so we see a reporter asking one of these PTSD-ridden soldiers about assassins. Did you know that assassins in the Middle Ages smoked hashish and then, you know, went on their murder sprees and whatever during the Crusades? Um, while he's kind of harassing this soldier, Kuze, who is an MP here, overhears the um, reporter and, like, walks up to him saying that, like, hey, listen, we, you know, we didn't want to be in this country. You're right. We're here not being asked to be here. And he trades his gun for the guy's camera. And then just walks off towards a refugee camp. Um, so, like, Ishikawa at this point starts saying, like, no one knows really what happened to him after he went to this camp. People say that, like, he would just look at the refugees through the camera and fold origamis. And, then after and that a everyone while, loved him. Yeah, after a while, the refugees' elders started to take interest in him and talk to him. The children befriended him, even though he rarely spoke. Folds and, like, origami, you say? Yeah. I wonder and, where that's come up before. Everybody folds origamis. It's a yeah, fun pastime. Yeah. yeah, so the media forgot about the massacre. Uh, and just before the JDSF was supposed to come home, Kuze disappeared because he went AWOL. No one knows where he is. And Ishikawa says, thank you for listening to my PowerPoint. <laughs> and uh, any, any questions? No? Okay, I guess we'll just finish up, give you a few minutes back in your day. <laughs> yeah, so um, they said he's been spotted all over the South Asian Sea area. Apparently he was in Taiwan last seen. Uh, his hair has turned white, but he's otherwise the same person. And apparently whenever Kuze's around, people are just happy. That's weird. <laughs> uh, and we see like shots of random people in Taiwan talking to him. Uh, they all exit the VR zone. The major's there. She says, wow, that's a fascinating story. And she seems sort of nostalgic over it. Weird. Huh. Uh, and then we have to remind ourselves of the big bad guys in this episode. So we cut over to the Cabinet Information Service headquarters. There's a guy talking to Gota. Apparently they backtraced the cyber brain hub in Dejima, which is where the refugees are. Um, and he's asking the NSA to help spy on them. And he needs to get visual confirmation. And the last scene of the episode is Kuze in Dejima just kind of looking at the sunset. So, Yes, who's the cyber brain hub for all of these refugees? Uh, it's Kuze. Yeah, it's Kuze. Yeah. <laughs> It's Kuze. It's and anybody Kuzay, could yeah. guess who the who the <laughs> little boy was that talked to them. It was Kuze. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it's. Oh man. They could have built <laughs> like, up to this. this like, the show's really trying to be mysterious with like. Just d directly telling us things at the same time. <laughs> like I don't get which one it's trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> like if they had done several episodes of them investigating into Kuze's past and realizing that everybody around Kuze was happy and that like also there was this weird cyber brain hub that's totally unrelated in the refugee zone and someone put two and two together on camera, this would be a bit more interesting. But it's it, just it really Ishikawa feels like us. they did not spend enough time peppering this backstory through and building it up this whole idea of like kuze man of the people kind of just pops up out of nowhere yeah it could have been done in the next episode when the major goes to taiwan to look around for him yeah like, it could have been there it could have been in the episode after where bato goes to berlin and absolutely nothing of consequence happens <laughs> oh, oh it's, boy <laughs> it's so weird because they clearly like ha nasty man bad guy energy you know they build him up they interrogate his cyber brain and then I guess they got bored of him and were like, ah, we need another another antagonist in here. What What's this other guy doing? Oh, Kuze. Yeah, we can do something <laughs> interesting with him. And we're bored with a nasty man. Let, let's go away from him. And uh, now let's 
throwing all the stuff out Kuze and it just it smacks Serena, of like, I would like to ask you, what? as a member of the audience, yes. were you bored of Nasty Man? I was not bored of Nasty Man. No, I love the Nasty Man. I also man. was not bored of Nasty Man. <laughs> but it's I, very clear that they they have decided that we are supposed to be interested in Kuze now, and I'm like, I'm really not. And you, you haven't really done the the footwork to like establish him like that. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they were done the footwork to establish Goda. Yes. Why don't they just use Goda? Like he's cool. Yeah. I like him. He's fun. Yeah, they definitely like. I, I don't know why they realized that they hadn't done enough to establish Kuze, but they clearly did, and we're like, "Fuck, we're gonna have to just like throw it all in now. Put it all, put it all in an episode with a capstone, and then just throw it out there." I feel that they could have done the inversion of these two characters a bit. Better. Like at the yeah. beginning of the series, you're not really sure if Goda is a friend or a foe. And like on the surface, he's supposed to be helping Section 9 based on his position. And at the beginning of the series, Goda or Kuza, Kuze is obviously a bad guy. He tried to assassinate the prime minister. Yep. And like as the series goes on, you obviously see that like these roles are reversed. But I feel that like they could have done this more gradually or like with yeah. better tact. Yeah. Than like, just, like, like Goda basically, the... you pretty much immediately confirm, oh, he's up to some shit. He's a nasty man. <laughs> And it like, you know, you it didn't really ever give him any plausible deniability about it. It's mm-hmm. just always been him being like, Oh, I'm gonna do something evil today. Yeah, like if they did And more- like that's it's been a fun character element for yeah. for Goda as well. Like as opposed to uh, it, like it was a good opposition to uh, the Laughing Man in that the Laughing Man was this like super quiet underground, like no one knew who he was, no one knew what like the plan was, like all sorts of stuff like that. That like then ended up becoming even more obscure via the standalone complex, like that whole idea, mm-hmm. right? And then Gota, on the other hand, was no, he's just here and he's evil and he doesn't fucking care. Like, I he am doesn't here care to weaponize you know. the standalone complex and you can't stop me. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's just like, oh, cool idea. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> and it's like this great idea. And then, yeah, K- Kuze, who's like so <laughs> See, Kuze could have been more interesting, too, because at the beginning of the series, he's obviously a bad guy for attacking the prime minister. And as we learn more and more about his backstory, like it becomes more sympathetic in that angle to the point where, obviously, you can kind of tell where this is going with the whole cyberbrain hub thing of yep. him trying mm-hmm. to influence some of the refugees. But like it becomes an idea of like connection and talking, and this becomes this is a plot point in the next episode, but I'm yes. kind of getting ahead on. But like the fact mm-hmm. that like communicating with people to understand what they're talking about I feel that, like, if Section 9 had approached him with more, like, hostile at first, but then switching over to a, you know, more friendly attitude of why he's doing this, that could have been, you know, a major theme of the show. It it feels like it comes up so quickly and that we've spent 16 episodes in this season so far not really bringing it up. He's not in the early episodes. Yeah. Like, you have the one episode where he tries to kill the Prime Minister and then he doesn't show up until you have, like, the individual 11 killing themselves, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, which is, like four or five episodes afterwards, like, he's out for a decent chunk. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't also seem like, like a major, like, part of the show in that first episode. He's mm, just one mm. of the fuckers that's doing stupid shit. Yeah. And, and like, I, I think the idea partially is they wanted an antagonist that was, like, more of a mirror of the major. And, like, the problem with that is 
the major's really boring. <laughs> the major's like really, really boring. Uh, she just is perfect, does everything right all the time, and like is borderline omnipotent. Like she's the most boring character. Yeah. So they're like, we're gonna have someone who also is like basically Superman and is quiet and only speaks when it's the perfect time with the correct information that only they know because they're so smart. And it's like, fuck, I don't want that. I don't want that at all, man. Yeah. <laughs> it super hurts Kuze that part of the thing about him is that his face doesn't move. Yeah. He like, just can't be as expressive. It reminds me of... You know what it actually reminds me of? Something that came much later, uh, but like Jiren, <laughs> like Jiren in Dragon Ball Super, where like they decided his whole the basis of his character was he has no friends, doesn't talk to anyone, has no personality, and just wants to lift. And then it's like, oh, it turns out that's a really fucking boring character. <laughs> like, yeah, Mister Mister No Emote, <laughs> Mister No Emote doesn't say anything except, oh yeah, yeah. I, just give me more Goda, please. Yep. <laughs> more nasty man. Nope, sorry. Damn it. Episode for 17. For what it's worth, Goda will show up more as the series reaches its conclusion. As I does know. Kuze, but yeah. <laughs> he just, I don't want Kuze at all. This guy sucks. <laughs> 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 so, uh, episode 17. Hey, Major, what the fuck? <laughs> or, shit. hey, Major, what the fuck? <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so we open on a hot day in Taiwan. Uh, Major's being led around by a police detective who tells her that Kuze is called Ro here, which means, which is a Chinese character that means serene is a sunny day. In, uh, and I think something else about a tiger, I don't quite remember. It's, it's very like a wolf or something, yeah. Uh, he's something of a cult hero to the refugees here, but he's probably not here anymore. We see a lot of, like, Polaroid pictures of happy refugees posing with him. He's got that same stone face everywhere, but all the pictures that they see around him are, like, people smiling. It's th Some bar just hang this up, apparently. Uh, we learn that the refugees here have made a deal with the Yakuza that lets them roam the streets freely, them being the Yakuza. And the refugees have also started doing Yakuza crimes. So, like, Taiwan's not exactly doing too great right now. Uh, the detective thinks that Roe is responsible for the C4 smuggling pipeline and the refugees suddenly much more advanced tactics against the Yakuza in various gang wars and such. The last just, thing yeah, we just, hear... Hey, um, weird, these guys went from some like real small potatoes-ass shit to all of a sudden being like a threat. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Who got there? Yeah, yeah. some yeah. stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the detective also heard that, like, he's not here anymore. He The story is he went back to Japan to get cyber body repairs, but there's no real solid leads behind that. It's kind of just a dead end at this point in terms of information about Kuze. Uh, with that, he gives her a plane ticket, but says that given the current political climate, it's really hard to get international flights these days. Wink, wink. So your flight won't leave until tomorrow. We learned that the U.S.-Japan uh, Security Treaty was just signed, and also that Taiwan and mainland China have normalized relations, so, like... That's good. A, a lot of shit going on, mm. I guess, but basically what it means is that he's got the major a flight that gave her some time off in the city because she has been ridiculously overworked, so I guess this guy's a good guy. Yeah, he's trying to do another government worker a favor, you know? Yeah. yeah. Embezzling, you know, taxpayer money. Only slightly. <laughs> Good. 
Especially given what goes on. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so uh, as she's walking through town, Major thinks about how Kuze is probably the hub cyber brain because fucking duh. Um, but so few of these refugees even have cyber brains themselves, so it's not like they could just plug the back of their heads into him and gain his eye and synchronize with him. Uh, but then she sees some Yakuza, Yakuza guys who are the uh, Zhao Ji threatening a small kid in an alley because he stole something from them. Uh, pretty standard Yakuza guys. And the kid is a refugee, which is really the important part. Uh, the kid, whose name is Chai, is defiant as they threaten to cut off his hand, but Major jumps in, does the usual thing. We, we've we seen a scene of a Section 9 member assaulting three or four people in an alley like five or six times on this show They're by really now. They're really good at it. <laughs> that's like their one specialty assaulting in alleys uh, yeah i mean even uh even boring mcno prosthetic guy you know <laughs> even he's managed to shoot somebody in an alley even togas shot someone in an alley and togas and togas i love doing it too and he had nothing but good things to say about the experience <laughs> oh yeah the oh, yeah. tried it as well yeah sure did. oh god and got stuck yeah baby <laughs> baby learned from watch you know <laughs> So Major's kind of just like, all right, the fuck off, kid. Stop doing deals with the Yakuza. But he basically blackmails his way into staying with her um, and imprints on her like a duck. There's the, the whole thing of this is that Major's this kid's mom thing. That yeah, she tries to like do. tell him the fuck off and he just follows her around everywhere because he thinks he's found his meal ticket to the point where like when she tells him to leave. Like she start, he starts screaming at the cops that this lady is like doing things or something. Yeah, police, police, and she's like, "Oh my fucking god!" Kid grabs him by the arm and drags him along. Uh, so he, she's like, "What do you want with me?" And he tells like, "I, I realize you're full prosthetic, aren't you, lady? Um, I want to become fully cyberized like my hero Ro, and that's why I didn't care if my arm got cut off." Um, and, and as we know in Ghost in the Shell, there are only. Three people who are fully cyberized, despite how <laughs> incredibly common it is. Yep. <laughs> um, so he takes her to a warehouse and just starts talking about how cool these animal figurines are. We got this real sweet job uh, replicating these pre-war capsule machine figurines. He's making of, Funko Pops. Yeah, fu- of ostriches and dinosaurs and shit. And then he sort of goes, leans in, and it's like. By the way, they're all made of cocaine. <laughs> also, this is like the most easy to spot smuggling scheme on the planet. Yeah, oh my god, they were this in the movies since the eighties. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like I've watched border control shows. Yeah, this would just be done <laughs> instantly, like no problem. Easiest thing to find I on the planet. Like, like that he <laughs> confides in this woman he met fifteen minutes ago, who had a gun on her that kicked the ass of two yakuza in like ten seconds. And Again, like, yeah, this is the person I want to tell about like my drugs. <laughs> Well, when he called for the cops, she decided to leave, so that must mean she's cool. <laughs> she didn't want to deal with the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, at, the, at this point, Chai reveals that he figured that she might, that given that she's clearly well-connected, she might know a way for him to become fully cyberized. And he wants to do it to pick up where Ro left off, so he, he clearly idolizes Kuze. And wants to do whatever Kuze was doing to all of the refugees here. Uh, 
he then gets a call on his clamshell phone that the Yakuza found the <laughs> warehouse and are coming over, so they just fuck off from it. I love all these clamshell phones. Like, I love when, like, older shows have, like, oh, yeah, we're going to in the future. Everyone's going to have a mobile phone. It's going to be clamshell, and then you, you know what phones look like now, and it's, like, oh, it's you so know, it, it makes more sense here because they say that, like, Taiwan doesn't have a lot of cyberized people in it, and this kid obviously is not rich enough to get, like, a cyber brain for a cyber brain phone. Yes. So, like, the clamshell makes sense here, but, like, now they're thinking back to the episode where Tokusa tried yeah. to defend that woman in the alley. She also had a clamshell phone. <laughs> sure so it's did. like yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So at this point, Major takes him to a really swanky hotel and orders the penthouse suite. Uh, so basically, she, like she walks into this hotel and just orders it with this small child in tow. The desk attendant gives her uh, just the the most scathing look ever as he slides her triple platinum, or as she slides the triple platinum credit card. And Major incredibly unconvincingly says that chai is her kid and but but he does she doesn't let him call her mom or whatever and th- this does yeah the shot also not. like chai is clearly not dressed in anywhere near the same like yes. cultural class yeah she has like, like a blouse on and everything he's like in fucking just like car i don't know gym shorts or something and a beat wife beater or something yeah and yeah it's yeah. funny the reaction the desk attendant there gives because she's like a double look over this woman just with this like you know teenage kid next to her yeah. She orders the penthouse. Yeah. So, up in the suite, Chai flips through the TV channels, um, stopping on a documentary that mentions ostriches used to be wild, but now basically only exist in farms for human consumption. We also hear about how the strongest female of the flock protects her young because we're going to mix literally all of our metaphors <laughs> and just state it outright what's going on in this. And then, uh, the moment, Major walks out of the shower in panties and like a modesty towel. And when I say modesty towel, I mean more like a hand towel that she's like, it's a hand towel holding wrapped over around her, her boobs, neck. Lady Godiva style. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. That's um, why. <laughs> why? Why? So Chai kind of freaks out at this point because, yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, good, good reaction, kid. Correct. <laughs> yeah. She tries to tell him to go to the police, but Chai says that refugees don't have anyone to protect them, which, fair enough. And then he goes into, we're just like those ostriches, cultivated and used by the bourgeois. And it's like, oh my <laughs> fucking God, we get it. Um, when you've only read one book. <laughs> yeah, God. <laughs> Is it reading the cocaine theory. is their ostriches because right, that's right. the only ostriches they have. Makes sense, doesn't it? So uh. she asks again why he wants to swap into a prosthetic body and also how Kuze was able to synchronize his thoughts with him because Chai is clearly all rode up at this point, but Chai doesn't have a, even have a cyber brain. And at this point, Chai gives her a look and just laughs and is like, he just talked to us, lady. What, what do you mean? How did we synchronize? What the fuck is that? Synchronize our thoughts. And at this point, she's like, wait, you can talk to people? Huh? Like, yeah, she has this like weird epiphany. Like, It never occurred to her that people could have a conversation to exchange ideas instead of just you know meshing cyber brains. Jacking your USBs in. 
Instead of just using your omniscience to know everything someone is thinking <laughs> also true. and hack into their eyeballs. It's like and the Pachi also Comas figured this out like 10 episodes ago. Right? <laughs> They've been having ontological <laughs> debates about it. Well, really, I mean, it makes sense for her character because she is, yes. like, she's been cyberized since she was very, very little. Mm-hmm. And the Tachi Comas mm-hmm. are more people than her. So Also true. <laughs> Still, you think that would like come up in some kind of training at some point? Like, have you ever considered talking to someone? It. You would think. Yeah, Togusa seems like the kind of guy who would be like, "Hey, have you tried using going words? to a coffee shop?" <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's also maybe the fact that like the major, as part of her backstory, is like never really had people she considers friends. It's kind of obvious when she interacts mm-hmm. with also the coworkers. True. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll try to go over this quick. They get into the same bed and it gets worse. <laughs> I want everyone to know that is also my opinion of this scene is, fuck, man, let's try it. Oh, my God, let's just skim over this shit. <laughs> so that night, Chai asks if you can still have sex in a prosthetic body and Major uh, turns around and asks if he wants to find out. No, I'm sorry. You can't say it like that. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, we have to talk about this. Because that sounds bad, but you you have to know that he asks this not in a like pro- proposition way. He's clearly asking this because like, he he's wants curious. a prosthetic body and he's 14. It's, it has never occurred to him yeah. before until and this lady shows up with a full Until prosthetic. he is in, in a bed with a naked lady. Who, he, which, yeah. like, Major, come on, put a bra on, dog. Right. <laughs> like something. And so he's just curious, you know, if he can have sex and ever has a prosthetic body. But she's, like, she's facing away from him. And then she rolls over, gets up on one arm, kind of smiles at him, and is like, do you want to find out? And I'm like, what are you doing, Major? <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck, Major? Like, I... Yeah. Major, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, like, this is... Like, this is one of those things where it's like... Ev- I mean, oh God. Even if she knew, like, he was gonna say no 100% for sure, which, like, don't fuck around and find out with that shit. What are you doing? Like, what is what is the end state? What does this achieve other right. than making everyone in the audience uncomfortable? Especially when <laughs> like, the whole metasor- me- metaphor of this episode is that she's been, like, mothering this child who has got it getting into the cocaine yeah. trade. Like, it, I think that's the worst part because thematically this makes zero so sense. so much because, like, again, yeah. I would actually kind of like the episode if this fucking road bump didn't slam into it and just be, like, just make me spend the entire the rest of the episode being like why the fuck did she say that yeah, like, o- otherwise ugh. it's like a character building thing yeah. of like the major goes out and like you know even when she can't even when she's not supposed to be she like just helps people passively like that's mm-hmm. just her character she yeah. sees problems and wants to solve them but then this and it's just like i don't want to know this character anymore yep. <laughs> like, i want this character to just leave yeah <laughs> yeah it's completely out of character for her like totally it makes at least sense. in the show for sure it's like when he says no and she's just like hmm smiles and it's like oh no i no no just, that was bad that was bad so anyway I don't, I don't know if they like wanted to try to like bring this up to like the fact that like in the manga series the major does fuck a lot but it's always with consenting adults so i just right. don't know where they're going with that but. yeah it's it's really weird and i'm glad we're past it hmm. <laughs> goodbye so later that night, Chai starts going through her stuff as she pretends to sleep, but she's like basically getting ready for action at this point, holding a gun and everything. 
he finds out that she's a government agent who is looking for Kuze from the dossier that she has with his headshot in it, but he doesn't really do anything with it, so there's there's still some tension there. Uh, the next morning, he's gone from the hotel room, and Major's like, well, all right then. She gets in her taxi and goes to the airport. Uh... She starts saying that she's learned more about Kuze through him, but wonders how he's managed to synchronize with all of these non-cyberbrain refugees. Is this another standalone complex, TM? Question mark. No. She knows what that is. This is not right? that. <laughs> it's it's weird. So while she's is that it? <laughs> <laughs> no, like it's clearly not. Right. <laughs> this is just a guy who walks around because he's unemployed and talks to people. I mean. Yep. He's just a personable guy. Like, he might have been a bartender in a past life. Who knows? He's just nice. He's People just like nice. To him. Just a nice guy who also started a C4 smuggling ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also got a bunch of people off themselves on a broader roof, you know? Just gave, a nice guy. gave a small child the idea for a cocaine smuggling business. Cocaine yeah. smuggling. He's just <laughs> refugees. I mean, come on. Okay. Sorry. That may have come off wrong. He's a great conversationalist. He <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs> so they they get stuck into traffic on the way to the airport and as she looks through her stuff she discovers the key to a locker has been slipped into her little passport key and she's like hey uh are we gonna make it to the airport in this traffic and he's like yeah you got plenty of time to get to your flight she's like all right you want to take a detour to a bathhouse just like hell yeah i'm running the meter on this yeah basically <laughs> So we cut to Chai, who is talking with his crew of other children, saying that he might die here and they should all go into hiding if he does, because Roe said not to die a meaningless death. Uh, cut over to the bathhouse, where Major finds the remaining bricks of cocaine and says that she wasn't sure she could feel these protective feelings anymore. And like, it's, again, getting really heavy-handed with the whole motherhood thing. It should be said that when she goes into the bathhouse, she just, like statively walks into the men's section of the bathhouse where there's naked dudes just around. Excuse me, boys. Yeah, and just goes to the locker while they're all freaking out while this woman's walking in, which is kind of funny. It's it's a pretty good scene, yes. Uh, So we cut over to the Wang Long Yakuza headquarters where Chai tries to play slick businessman with the three heads of the Yakuza. You know, three dudes in a long robe sitting in different things. You've you've seen the various pieces of media with this. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like the like the council in Cowboy Bebop, except instead of being terrifying, weird old guys that are like super wrinkly, it's just some dudes. They're probably <laughs> more accurate to most Yakuza heads who <laughs> yeah, are yeah, yeah. very rich and full of themselves, yeah, yeah. yes. Um, they say that he could have made a really good business partner because he's really polite and knows the rules for interacting with Yakuza heads. Like, he's clearly done his homework. Unfortunately, the rival Shaoji Yakuza guys from earlier sold him out to work with the uh, with the Wang Long because they're all super racist and they already cut a deal with him. So uh, Chai's been sold out. Oops. Uh, as he's about to get killed, Major busts into the Yakuza den, guns Akimbo, and offers to trade the cocaine for Chai's life. Uh... The head of the Wang Long wonders if she's the same race as Ro, and she asks if he can't tell, and it's this sort of weird thing where it's like, they're both Japanese, but on another level, they're both cyborgs, and they're, and they're doing something with it. Anyway, um, they agree to it, 
where all the stupid Yakuza guys try to go after her, but the bosses say that they should learn not to attack someone who could kill all of them. They quote Sun Tzu. It's all, it's all lovely. Yeah, she has like the same like stance and like non-blinking, non-moving, you know, wide-eyed stance that like was in this Saito's episode. Yes, so like everybody basically. knows she's cyborgs and these Yakuza guys are too stupid to realize that and realize that if they try to go after her, they're going to get murdered. So, yeah. Yeah, whereas the old guys are like, no, don't, don't fucking fuck with them. We don't need your blood all over our hall. Um, cut over to the airport where Chai is like in the bathroom just having a panic attack over everything that just happened. Major says that he should get an honest career instead of dying in some <laughs> pointless so gang war. Go <laughs> home and be a family man. Yes. What? <laughs> to which what? I say, honest career like Black state. Ops Super Soldier. <laughs> Yeah, like you're telling somebody who's in such a bad situation, they turn to this horrible situation as their only possible out. <laughs> and yeah. you're just being like, get yeah, just get a regular job. Yeah. You should like, be an accountant, actually. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. Instead like of some peddling drugs on the black market, peddle drugs for pharmaceutical oh. corporations. Yeah. It's, Ugh. and then, you know, she walks away to get on her flight and it's it's a weird episode. <laughs> Again, like this could have been better written of her like finding out more about Kuze, you know, through talking with these refugees and like maybe having the whole mother instinct thing not include a weird sex scene in the bed. But it feels like this episode uh, should have been a little earlier and also not involve her propositioning him. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I have two problems is what I'm going to say. We cannot overstate enough (laughs) that it is bad to proposition an underage (laughs) child. That is never good to do. (laughs) You you can see the train coming up to the edge of the cliff like the entire time watching that scene. Yep. Like, it, it just escalates from, like, okay, they're going in this penthouse suite. Okay, maybe the major is trying to, like, show him a taste of the good life or whatever. Like, whatever it is. Or she's just taking care of him. And then she gets out of the shower, like, still naked. And I'm just like, oh, no, no man. <laughs> and then it just keeps getting worse. Yup. <laughs> well, anyway, time for time for Bado to do the most pointless episode in this entire series. This box is Berlin <laughs> vacation. Yeah. It has no relevance to anything. At least I'm pretty sure Kubo will maybe confirm. Yeah, no relevance. Zero relevance. Good, excellent. I'm sure that we are going to be learning more about this Angel Feathers guy in the future. Yeah, see, the thing about this is, like, if an episode either advances the plot, it advances a character in the, like, character building, or if it shows some cool future sci-fi concept or idea, I'm fine with it. But this episode does none of the three. Yeah, so and it is like I really yeah. liked the episode about the South American gorilla that was just he's been replaced because someone accidentally killed him and then just cloned mm. him to pretend it was all going fine. Yeah, like that was cool. Yeah, it this was a is cyber that mystery kind of from the episode future. in terms of plot relevance, but there's no cool act- sci-fi concept. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't actually bring up something interesting. I mean, the I guess the it's only just- thing is the ethical question the doctor has, but that's like something that could have been done. Breezed day. straight through. Yeah. Um, I think it brings up the very salient point that dogs hate Bato. It's true. <laughs> that is universe, the most yeah. important character trait we established. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, I still can't believe that there, yeah, now that you mention it, like, there's a really interesting part in the middle, and yeah, they totally gloss over it. They're just like, yeah, 
I don't know. I guess I, I guess I get it that it was hard. It's full Next. cop. They it's go like, full no, cop mode on it, and we'll get there. That's the crux of this thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we open to various shots of Berlin uh, around the city. Bato is standing in camo on a big angel statue, and he starts. He's just waxing lyrical about how the city was destroyed in World War Three and Four. And so basically, three world wars running. Yes. Berlin has been fucked. Yeah, there's, there's craters everywhere. Like, yeah. people are rebuilding. Um, then after the title card, we're now on a city street outside a bakery where a dog is barking seemingly at nothing, but it turns out it's Bato in camo, and he's like, well, <laughs> this brand new advanced camo can't fool a dog's nose. Uh, the major tells him, you know, quit screwing around. Uh, Bato's like, oh, but I'm so <laughs> he's doing the same thing the rookies did a couple episodes back. Yes. Yeah, he's on this long-term surveillance job, and the snow is ruining the camo. And uh, he's just griping. He is griping. He's he's very whiny this entire episode. Yep. Uh, there's a great bit when the major's like, "Yeah, but you're the most suited for this job," and the baker who thinks the dog is barking at him throws the dog a pretzel, <laughs> and then he eats it, and then goes right back to barking at Bato. <laughs> Hey, free pretzel. <laughs> free pretzel. Uh, so the major tells Bato, the job will be over soon. Be patient. Go back to your post. So he leaps off onto the nearby uh, roofs, ends up back at the statue. And he starts complaining again that it's like really cold. Even with his senses turned off, it's like, you know, really frigid. Uh, we then flash back to a lecture room. Full of like people from like different uh, military uniforms and suits. It's very clearly these are from like many different countries. There's like a multinational task force. Yes. Um, the, batch of, uh, the major's there. She got a quick flight, blah, it doesn't matter. Um, so she talks about how their target's a pretty major target and they're a bit surprised that they're going after him with a mixed country team. And like. But I was like, yeah, I kind of thought the chief was joking <laughs> when he mentioned doing this off. And I'm also like, yeah, why are we here? They're trying to explain the reason why they're in Germany. It's not a very yes. good reason. No. Um, not particularly. So we invented a guy and got really mad at him. Well, yeah. they said it was because like the CIS recommended them. Yes, they said that in the next line that the, they, they, they were spe- specifically named for this mission. And they think it was... The CIS. Yeah, like go to just wander them out of the country. So they're going after a man called Angel's Feathers. He's this big name terrorist who hits the summits of developed nations. Um, the dude in charge of the operation approaches the podium and starts debriefing them. It, it should be mentioned the summit being like a G8 summit, yes, basically. G- like, like, yeah, like it's yeah, held in different summit. countries every year, and this yeah. guy's a terrorist of those countries. And he's been attacking them like for the last like three or four years. Um, so he shows in the face of this guy, uh, apparently a Dutch terrorist called Angelica, the highest death toll from one bombing in history, and they're all like, ooh, that's big and scary. Uh, he, like, denounces that a handful of nations are monopolizing authority over, like, the entire globe, so in response he bombs glass-walled buildings in countries hosting the summit. And his name comes from the falling storm of glass shards. That murder a lot of people. He's also full prosthetic, and he changes his face at will in every attack he had a different face. It's weird. Hmm. Weird full prosthetic thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes um, it easier to swap your face out, I guess, than it getting does. You could take your surgery. face off. <laughs> <laughs> We just need dogs in the church now. There, were, now, there, were there will be. 
Was Hold it on, now I'm just thinking, pictures? if you're in the future and you're cyberized and can change your face at will, can you get like celebrity prosthetic faces and pretend yes. to be... Ooh. Yeah, like, mean, like what if the Nixon mask was just actually your face? Yeah, I don't know why you want to Nixon when uh, Nick Cage is oh. right there. <laughs> My face is an NFT. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I registered it to uh, blockchain. Well, I'm just Sorry, gonna... I'm an NFT guy now, but just for my face. I'm, I'm going to right click on your face and save it. <laughs> no, you can't. I want to get his face. <laughs> Download it. Download that face specifically. Uh, you wouldn't steal my face. Yeah, I would, yeah, you would. I mean, someone did. Someone stole Paz's face. It's true. <laughs> God, right. I forgot it's that literally happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the major like pipes up and is like, how do you know his body is prosthetic? And they, they reveal that two months ago, a prosthetic body doctor was doing a body swap procedure and kind of accidentally coma hold him. Oops. And so, it, yeah, whoops. In the recovery process, he saw a bunch of memories in the patient about all the bombings and the whole bunch of uh, facial data from all the bodies he swapped into at each event. And it was like very immediately clear that this is the guy who did the bombings. Yes. Because he knew shit he should not know. And when the police got these faces, they matched the logs from the bomb building. So the doctor struggled with his like professional and moral ethics and eventually reported this to the police. And they're like, oh, you know, I... I wish you'd come forward sooner. And this is the like, most yeah, fucking cop brain thing ever. Yeah, Dr. the cops like privilege. are totally angry at this doctor for not coming on earlier when this is a serious ethical consideration that needs to be done with, you know, yeah. confidentiality. Yeah, if you accidentally saw the memories of your patient and it turns out they were Hitler, would it be okay to report that even though you are, like, ethically not allowed to because you, you are beyond not having a search warrant you have transcended and not having a search warrant too <laughs> like this yeah. is you jumped into somebody's brain even if it and the, the real quandary becomes like yeah if it was on accident then what yep. is yeah like oh my god and, there's so much going on here and then this another be, cop is just like he should have told us sooner and that's like <laughs> basically it no the first, yeah. and then the first guy is like yeah but i understand why he didn't and then they just move and on. then it's just done yeah, this could have been it's a fun like conversation. Far and away. But no. Yeah. Yeah, this this like if they had an episode of the Tachacomas discussing this, yeah. I would actually be here for it. Because mm-hmm. it'd be way more interesting than hearing some stupid ass cop be like, Yeah, I don't know, I don't think you should have thought about it. Like, I don't care, <laughs> man. I hate this guy. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so Bass was like, Okay, why are we in Berlin? The next summit is in Leeds. And so the dude in charge is like, well. One thing we've learned from all the spatial data is that Angel Feathers always visits Berlin before he goes to do a terrorism. We did a search of the security cameras of every airport in the world. You know, just so we can let little surveillance state that's, in there. That's a fun Elasticsearch query yeah. there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so every time he arrives in Berlin and then he waits until two days before the attack and leaves and goes bombs the buildings... Uh, they don't know how he gets to Berlin, just that he always ends up there. So we're organizing a stakeout of the entire city for uh, the weeks before the summit. We're looking for one of the faces and names in our data file we got from the doctor. Go. Why don't they just arrest everybody on the flight from Berlin to Leeds in two days before the summit? You would think. They, they know exactly where he's going to be. That seems I guess like they really a- can't. I, it seems like an easier thing to do. You would think. It would. I, I think they should, later on they go like, yeah, if we don't find him here, it'll just be like the normal manhunt. But mm-hmm. 
God knows. We have to have an episode of Basso. Standing um, around. Stalking a young girl. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> two for two on these episodes of just doing bad thing to minors. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Basso is, uh, we're back with him, standing on the statue. He's once again whining about being put on this job. The dog is like looking up and barking at him. I'm not sure why the dog cares when he's so much further up than right, the dog. He, like, this statue is five or six stories tall, and he's standing on the shoulder of Dogs it. really hate But him. dogs really hate Bono. Dogs are him. So what is the dog? Girl, I mean, the dog's got nothing else to do. It's just got to bark around. True. Yeah, it's true. Um, so a young girl uh, in a wheelchair approaches the barking dog and, and pets it, and then Bash was like, hey, I wonder what this like young girl in a wheelchair is doing out so late. I see her again, basically. Like, she's, I've seen her before, is what he says as well. Oh, does he say Yeah, that? he says, hey, it's that girl again. Because this is the first time we see her. It's the first her. time we see her, yes, but it's clear that like she's shown up in his... Okay, I did not catch that. Uh, patrols before and that's kind of why he notices her in the first place i did not catch that whatsoever mm-hmm. um then she like stares up at the statue seemingly directly at Bato, despite him being in like optical camo and she just stares dead at him for a few seconds before just leaving uh we then get like a, a round off of check-ins there's two majors uh two randos the major and bato no sightings and they say the op will end in two days if angel feather doesn't show up we'll just go back to our manhunt uh cut to the next day bato is buying a newspaper being a big whiny baby about the op <laughs> That's all he does again <laughs> there's a great news story about invisible monsters at train stations scaring people and there's Bato a laughs. hilarious comic like a little cartoon yeah. of like a yes. ghost attacking somebody <laughs> it's really funny and he's like guess i'm not the only one who's bored and it's like yeah yeah well uh, it was shown earlier like when they were doing radio chatter that one of the people is at the train station like in camo yep. so like mm-hmm. i wonder if that person just went and fucked around for a bit probably yeah uh, there's also a story in about Japan. Uh, the refugees have declared that the uh, Dijimi region is now an autonomous zone, so shit is happening back home while nothing is happening here. Yup. Yeah, they um, want to keep the plot going forward, even though they purposely made an episode where the plot doesn't go forward. They, oh my sure god, did. these three episodes have more tell don't show than I've seen in a while. Like it is brutal how much they tell you about without showing you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then uh, the girl in the wheelchair is there again and staring right at him again. Uh, Bato wonders if she recognizes him, despite the fact he was in, like, camouflage. Uh, She just turns and rolls on away. And when she leaves, Bato turns on his camera and stalks her. As you do. She ends up in a church, uh, which with Bato sneaking in, and she's... Asking the big angel statue why her dad hasn't come home yet. It's been two weeks since he sent an email. Um, Bato like tries to approach her, sneaking around in the pews, but she hears him and asks, "Who's there?" And he's like, "Damn, that's good ears on that girl." But she doesn't actually see him because no, he's still he's in, he's in camo. She then uh, leaves, and he continues following her. Uh, we're down the street. There is no there. There is no reason, by the way, for Bato to be following this girl other than I'm bored. He's to bored the point that he gets That's yelled it. at later. Yeah. He's, he's bored totally, like he's, off his mark and everything. He seems to think she can like see through his like camouflage or something, which is going to get funnier. But which anyway, is going to get really funny. Yes. Oh my god. 
Um, so she's now entering a nursing home in the town. Uh, she goes up to her room and, uh, while looking out the window, like, Bato notices on the rooftops that the angel statue he's been standing on is, like, you can see it from her room. And she's like, is she able to see me from all the way over there? Um, she then looks out the window at the angel statue and says that she, you know, she thinks her dad will come home in a new body, and that she wants something this time, and she gets, she gets cut off, she's like, I want, and then she gets cut off by a nurse calling for her. We'll never know. And then she leaves the room. Who could say uh, so, why her father's coming home in a new body? Weird, that. Yeah. Uh, so, Bata breaks into the room. <laughs> As you do. Starts listening to her voicemail. I wonder why the email is a voicemail. It, it is an email that opens up an audio file, which is actually kind of a nice touch, but anyway. And starts rooting through her drawers and finds her diary. And is like, sorry. And then reads her diary uh, with really bad handwriting. This is really badly handwritten German, too. It's wonderful. <laughs> and so there's an entry in the diary for uh, her dad coming to the church that matches every terrorist bombing date. Mentions a password so she can recognize him in whatever body he's in. What is the angel planning to do today? He sets out to rain feathers, his feathers across the world. So Come she's on, get angel a better password. Yeah, yeah, get a better password that doesn't describe your entire MO as a terrorist, I am please. a terrorist. <laughs> Daughter says, hello, is that you, father? Father says, hello, yes, I am a terrorist. Like, I've gone through this very fast. Bando takes a long time looking at every entry and then being like, Day. Okay, February this year, March this year. It's like bottle comes. I think he's having a hard by. time with his implants, like OCRing the bad German handwriting yes. and translating it. Like <laughs> that's my headcanon for this scene. <laughs> um, uh, she comes back in the room and he, you know, leaves. Uh, when out at night, there's another round of check-ins. Bato has changed locations. He's now hanging out on the street roofs and he gets to chewed out for it, but. He's, He's like, a bunch of dogs were barking at me, which is horseshit. <laughs> I guess it's true, though. I, yes, but also. It is horseshit, but there was a dog barking at him. Um, so we, we're back at the church, and someone enters, and it turns out to be a man uh, carrying a gift. He places it down on the middle of the church and clasps his hand in prayer, and we can see it's the guy from the briefing. Yep. Uh, Bato, like an Otto Cabo, asks him if he's trying to repent and then runs up and they have a scuffle and Bato pins him to the ground. And then Bato's like, hey, I know you're Angel Feathers and the girl's dad. And wow, you're a real fucking piece of shit, buddy. You'll never see your daughter again. How dare you kill people who also have children, you monster. I'm sure the terrorist has never thought of that before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Angel Feathers. Like, also, hey, like, Bato. <laughs> You've killed like a lot of people. Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You've killed a lot of people and like But it was in the service I'm of pretty the state. Sure. True. I was true. gonna say, I feel like at least one or two violence. have had to be extrajudicial at this point. <laughs> like I one yeah. or two, most of them at this point. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so Angel Feather's like, I, I beg a favor, please deliver this package to my daughter. It's something she's dying for. Uh, Basso, like an idiot, looks over at it, and Angel Feathers takes this opportunity to open up his arm to reveal, like, a gun. Shoots at Bato, breaks free, and starts running away, but a uh, good thing the Major's also there in camo, and she just punches him the hell out. It's the worst ending possible. It's yep. the worst ending possible to the worst episode. It fucking sucks. Like, they could have had this moment of Bato, like, having an interaction with the villain, you know? And having this moment of, like... 
you know, ha- having this reflection of like what he does versus what this person does and like how he handles that dilemma of like, does he give the gift to the daughter? Is there a risk that, you know, like all that kind of like there's so many layers that could have happened. But no, instead he shoots at him and then the major deus ex majors in and just fixes everything. It's not even and that. It it's fucking stuff sucks. after this where like he starts talking with the girl who shows up. Oh, no Yo. spoilers. The girl's going to show up. Yeah. Of course the girl's going to show up. He could have, like, humanized this guy. I mean, like, he's a guy that loves his daughter. And he's not going to show up ever again. So, like, this is your one chance. But, uh, yeah, the battle then, like, shoots his limbs, prosthetic limbs out uh, so he can't walk and fight back. And the major cyber brain handcuffs him while berating Basha for being a fucking idiot. Basha's like, hey, why are you here? And she's like, well, I couldn't use a ghost infiltration key like she did with Togusa. So I just hacked your eyes, and yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Just side-channeled right, your eye drivers, you know, nothing big. Because I realized you were being real cagey-like. Realized you were being annoyed at your job. Suddenly we get interrupted by the girl coming into the church. Um, they both, like, point their guns at her, but soon realize that she can't see them. She's been blind all along, says Pato. <gasps> If she's been blind all along and she has this amazing hearing, which is kind of implied throughout the entire episode, how did she not hear, like, the six gunshots earlier? She heard a ruckus. I don't think that's <laughs> also, the exact word she used, but... Also, like, why did you have to make her blind? <laughs> like, what does that add to anything? Like, so much of this is, like, trying to humanize a mass murderer by giving him yeah. a daughter with, like, just multiple disabilities, and it just sucks. It's, like, yeah. so lazy. It's so fucking lazy. Uh, and it's, it's also, like, blows. all the times that she looks directly at Bato, like, it's supposed to be it was all in Bato's head, but also you watch the episode again, and it's like, she does look directly at him several times mm-hmm. to give you yeah, the impression like, that she can at see the him. Statue, but, like, up on the shoulder specifically. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it, it, mm. it does. I don't mind the statue thing because, like, she can be looking up at its face, but the bench bothers me. Why? Mm. Like, the people walk past and she's just staring dead at bottom on this random bench, a uh, newspaper set. Why? Yeah. Like, again, it's meant to be like Bato was imagining the whole thing, but it's not actually portrayed that way Bato's in the episode. Bato's not near an angel at that point. The whole point is she's staring at angel statues praying for her dad, but the bench breaks that so hard. And also and she's also blind. Like, and it comes off more as, like, she's daredevil than yes. anything else. <laughs> yes. like, just like, yeah, she could hear the snow falling on Bato wrong. Like, it's, it's like, what? It just doesn't work it's either weird. way. It's so bad. Anyway, uh, so she she comes over to them and her, uh, she, you know, she stretches out her arms, begging for her papa, and she's like, you know, papa, say something. I hear someone. Why are you so quiet? And she like stumbles over and she reaches Bato and she thinks Bato is her papa and she keeps asking him, you know, what's the angel planning to do today? And Bato like very slowly replies, like brokenly, like the angel isn't planning to go anywhere. Episode end. Yeah, it ends super hard right here. Like, there's no fucking conclusion, no wrap-up, no, like, the major chiding him for, you know, not being humble to this girl or anything. It just ends. It's so bad. At least the notes were short. I was very thankful for that. (laughs) For once. Yeah, I... Poor... 
it just, just doesn't do anything. It doesn't really help inform like Basho's character in any yeah. way, and he just comes across as so fucking whiny. Yeah, and it's so brutal too. After two episodes where they do so much tell not show, where it's like you could have used this time, man. <laughs> like, no. so, like, there there could have been anything going on here, and instead you just plot dumped ca- this dude and then just came here and wasted 25 minutes of my no. time. <laughs> it's, I, yeah. I, I was kind of saying this to Serene before we recorded. There's a lot of episodes of Ghost in the Shell standalone complex that basically break down to what if there was a guy and like, you know, sometimes they do interesting things about that. What if there was a guy who wanted to reenact all of Taxi Driver or what if there was a guy who would been, was a gorilla that was ghost cloned 50 times this episode was just, what if there was a guy who did a terrorism? But he had a very disabled daughter. But he had daughter. a daughter, yes, that's no, true. No, that's I true. Feel no, no, given a it very like... disabled daughter. You have to have that because that is the pathos here, apparently, mm-hmm. according mm-hmm. to this episode, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, I felt that yeah. maybe there was something here after they given, like, another four or five writing passes to make Bato actually try to respond to this disabled girl. But it wasn't at the focus of the episode, so... No. No, and like it's and what was the focus of the episode is really the problem. Knows. We spent far it just too feels long super in the cheap. Debrief. Yeah, it, it it just feels super cheap. Like it feels completely unearned. Like they're trying to do some pull at your heartstring shit, but yep. like you you have earned none of this. Yep. <laughs> and so like it just comes off as like fuck off, man. Yep. Like get out of here it, with this. Thinking shit. back to the first season, there was the episode where Bato had to go undercover to meet with that uh the boxing champ guy. Yeah. And that episode yeah. did it really well. Mm-hmm. He admired the boxing champ and realized what a scumbag the boxing champ was and was completely disappointed and crushed at the end. That was a good pathos episode. This like had none of that. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't really advance his character at all. It doesn't mm-hmm. tell a cool sci-fi story and like that is what the good what if there was a guy episodes are yeah in in basically any sci-fi show you know like that's like 80 percent of all twilight zone episodes too what (laughs) if there was a guy but like wouldn't it be fucked up if wouldn't it be fucked up if you could put brain in box and then bring other people in box and show the movie they like yeah what if there was a guy who put a brain in a box and made a movie theater yeah, you know like, the, the good rocks. episodes of what if there was a guy are the ones that kind of explore a concept or even just explore a character and mm-hmm. give them a little bit more and this one just doesn't do it I've kind of realized it's also like a bit out of character for Basho I would kind of expect more of this from Togusa right Togusa yeah. is the one who sympathized with the terrorist girl whereas Basho came up and just fucking shot her immediately yeah like Bato, the one in the subway. Togusa also has actual kids, so yes. he'd probably be way more sympathetic. Yeah. So it's, it's a little strange that, like, I don't know if they were trying to do something different. Like, maybe be like, oh, he pretends he's, like, the the big hard guy who'll do the difficult things. But in the end, he's a big softy for little girls in wheelchairs. Well, what? you also get that from, like... The way that he interacts with his Tachikoma, which is so much better realized than all of this, because it's Mm -hmm. also never the focus of the entire episode. It's just one of his background traits. It just feels natural. Yeah, Yeah. it feels natural. It doesn't feel like they're trying to force it. It just feels like that's something Bato does. He just talks to his uh, funny dogs that have become people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It kind of rocks. Well, hopefully these and next episodes these. are better. I haven't checked out checked out which ones they are yet, but 
I know yeah. the last six or so are very plotty, so we're getting close. Yeah. So it'll be uh, 19, 20, and 21, and then we're uh, closing out Coming of up uh, the season end of two of Ghost in the Shell yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to check uh, to see so if there's a good place to like split up the last couple episodes like there was in season one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, assume for now that we're doing three. Um, yeah, we'll I'll definitely have it in the notes once we... Yeah, I'll, I'll have it in the notes regardless. But yeah, thanks for hanging out, everybody. Uh, Till next time, space anime. Space anime.